bless you, Pastor. Amen. First Kings chapter number 18 tonight. What a joy it is to be here, saved by the good grace of God. Amen. Let's stand in reverence to the reading of the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Grabley. It's always a blessing to be here. Pray for the young people. We've got two more services with them in the morning and Friday morning. And I told them this morning, as soon as I get done preaching Friday morning, I'm going home to kiss my wife. And I'm excited about it. You can't never tell, sir. You go home, kiss your wife, revival, I'm going to break out at the Bible Baptist Church. Amen. Said that one place, the fella said, I'm too old. I, don't, I said, no, you don't never get too old to smooch on your wife, but that's not the message anyways, amen? But anyhow, I better preach before I get in trouble. First Kings chapter number 18, verse number 46, gonna preach just an old familiar verse, a simple thought, a simple text, and I want you to pray for us and keep an open heart and an open mind. And God will help you get something from the word of God. I love Wednesday night prayer meetings, don't you? I I think Wednesday night ought to be most the most exciting meeting of the week. Amen. Amen. Halfway there, going to get to go back to church on Sunday. Amen. Church ought to be our lives, the highlights. We'll look forward to every service, come expecting something from God. I was riding down the road here a couple of years ago, and I found a road in our town. It's called Expectation Lane. I said, Lord, I'd like to live there every day of my life in my heart, expecting God Amen. to do something for me and my family. You can't never tell. Every time I take my girls to church, JP saved, the girls aren't yet. Y'all pray for them. Every time I know they're going to church with or without me, I pray, Lord, is this going to be the service? Is this going to be the day when God the Holy Ghost gets on my girls? And I come to this service tonight and say, boy, wouldn't it be a blessing that this service tonight would be the service? That God would come down and revive us and meet with us in great power. Well, I got good news for you from a land that's farther than day. It could be. It could be the service. It'd change every one of us for time and eternity. First Kings chapter number 18, verse number 46. The Bible said the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Father, help me. Help these people. Thank you for Pastor Gravely, the Bible Baptist Church. Pray to do a divine work of grace in our midst and we'll give you glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm just going to uh, not labor any kind of lengthy introduction at all. I'd just like to kind of tell the story of Elijah in message form tonight and just take it for granted that you know most of what there is to know about the life of Elijah. If you've been studying your Bible any length of time at all, you know he's a mighty man of God. He lived his ministry on the battlefield and that's the way it's gonna be. We're gonna be on the battlefield till the day we die and till we lay our cross down and trade it for a crown and we pick up Elijah at the end of one great battle that God has given him victory and the Bible said the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And I want to simply preach on this subject tonight. There is an unseen hand to me. Neighbor, you study the life of Elijah. You can look back through every bit of it and you can see the unseen hand of God. It wasn't necessarily the physical hand of God, but it was a touch of God and that unseen hand that helped Elijah make it. And you look back on your life and you'd say it's the unseen hand of God that's brought us through many dangers, atolls and snares. It's a hand of God that kept us safe, that protected us, that helped us when nobody else could and nobody else would help us. That's right. It's the 
unseen hand of God. We need not claim any credit of our own. We need not take any glory from God. We need not pat ourselves on our backs. Amen, it's the unseen hand of God that led us to Calvary and we got saved by the grace of God. It was the unseen hand of God that led us to an altar of surrender and we gave it all to God. It's the unseen hand of God that's allowed us to come back here tonight. And I give glory to God for his unseen hand tonight. Four simple things and I'll be done tonight. First of all, the unseen hand of God in the life of Elijah's prayer life. God, you talk about some unusual praying going on. I have never prayed some of the prayers that Elijah has prayed in our text, but he's a praying man. Aren't you glad we've got a prayer answering God? When we get a burden, we can go to God in prayer. And we come back singing, I just heard from heaven and it's all right now. I'm glad he heard my prayer my earnest prayer he's on the throne he's got an attentive ear he likes for us to pray and God knows how to get us on our knees I pray unto God now watch this amen Elijah's got several prayers in his life first of all he prayed that the heavens would shut up and there wouldn't be no rain I never have thought about doing that I never have prayed for a drought and neighbor you know what Elijah had to do for three and a half years he had to learn to live with an answered prayer it was dry because he asked God to dry it up. Neighbor, I'm gonna tell you something. Sometimes the reason we go through famines and the reason we go through struggles and the reason we're in a valley, it might not be chastisement. It may be that we prayed thus and God answered our prayer and it's a result of our prayer lives. Isaac and Rebecca, they get married and she's needing some children and they pray and God answers that prayer, gives them a double portion and gives them twins, Jacob and Esau, and the children were struggling and fighting with each other and they couldn't even wait till they was born. They was already fighting with each other in their mama's womb and Rebecca said, why am I thus? Hey, can I tell you, they prayed for babies and God gave them a baby. Ma'am, you didn't know what you was praying for when you prayed for that first youngin', did you? Uh, the morning sickness, the pains, all the hardships of having a child. Hey, we prayed for wives and you prayed for a husband and it won't be long up in that thing that there'll be burdens and there'll be heartaches. It's an answered prayer and we better learn to live with answered prayer. He's praying. It seems like you study the life of Elijah. Everything that Elijah asked God to do, he done it. I like to think I had that kind of prayer life. I, I don't, but I, I wish I did. Amen, he's prayed. But then you go on to chapter number 17, verse number 20. He's left the brook. He's over there with that widow woman. And Elijah, uh, the boy dies. And Elijah takes that little boy from his mother. And uh, that's what uh, parents are gonna have to learn how to do is trust the man of God with their children. The boy is dead. The Bible said that Elijah took the boy and he stretched and covered himself over the boy covered every area of that young child and when we're dealing with young folk you're going to have to let the man of God cover every area and don't fuss at him, don't nag at him, don't look at him wrong when he's preaching to your kids or somebody else's kids you say amen because Elijah is praying revival back in this boy. Elijah prayed revival on somebody else. I tell you we see an unselfish prayer life here 
Most of the time when I go to God and pray for revival, I'm praying it for me. <laughs> Lord, revive me. God, touch me. God, help me. But Elijah's over there saying, Lord, would you revive this boy? Lord, would you bring him back to his mom again? Elijah prayed a revival on somebody else. <laughs> Have you ever prayed a revival on somebody else? <laughs> old Brother Raymond Geis, the old preacher man, Holy Ghost preacher man uh, from up in the hills of North Carolina. And uh, he, uh, he told me what time, said Brother John, he said they'd been a lot of times would have these kids. They come to the church and they get saved. Then we'd go to pray and God had fed them with the Holy Ghost. He said a lot of times, he said we couldn't get nothing going in the church. He said so we had some old prayer grounds upon salute them out. He said we'd carry them up there. He said without fail, every young person we ever took up there, amen, that wasn't filled before they left that prayer meeting, they got filled with the Holy Ghost of God. He said we'd get up there and we'd pray for them and we'd pray heaven on them and we'd pray the fire on them and pray the touch on them. Neighbor, I'm going to tell you what we better get back to doing is praying to God revive our neighbor. Let God revive the preacher. Let God revive your husband. Let God revive your wife and pray a revival. You know, somebody else. Great God. If you ain't got nobody else to pray for, pray one on me. He's prayed a revival on so and God has answered that prayer. But then he goes over here, he's on Mount Carmel and he prays fire down and God, 63 words I believe it is, yes, and God answers that prayer and the fire of God falls. Then he goes over there and he's on top of Carmel and he's praying for God to uh, let it rain. He's tired of this dry times and God knew you need to send the rain. He had to pray harder for rain than he did for it to dry up. He had to pray harder for rain than he did for revival in the boy. He had to pray harder for rain than he did for the fire to fall. He's earning praying. He's calling on God. He sends that lad seven times and neighbor of the lad comes back and said there's nothing seven times. But on the last trip, there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And neighbor, when you've been dry for three and a half years, it ain't gonna take a cloud the size of a bus or a building little as much when God's in it. And that little old cloud, it came around and it fired him up. It excited him. It filled him up. And it gave him hope again. But then you go to chapter number 19 and he's praying again. Chapter number 19, verse four, I believe it is. He said, it's enough. He said, God, I have had enough. The husband, this weary with being a husband or a wife, weary with being a wife and a mother, pastor weary with the cares that come along with the battle on the pastorate or anything, the workplace, whatever it is. You'll come to your point in your life where you'll say, it is enough. And Elijah said, Lord, it's enough. He said, take my life. He said, now, Lord, take away my life. He's asking God to kill him graveyard dead. God did not answer that prayer. I seen something the other day in my Bible study that answered a lot of questions for me, Pastor Gravely. He's praying... First of all, when he prayed, God shut up the heavens, he's praying according to the word of God. You know, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, God said, if you'll do right, I'll bless you. If you don't do right, I won't bless you. He said, if you do right, I'll send the rain. Israel had sinned against God. God shut the heavens up and he dried it up. And Elijah's praying according to the word of God. But he's not only praying according to the word of God, he's praying according to the will of God. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
So Elijah, he praised God, shut the heavens up, he's in the will of God. He prayed fire down, he's in the will of God. He prayed over the wall, he's in the will of God. But when he got to praying that God would take his life, he got out of the will of God in his prayer life. There are some prayers that I rejoice in my life that God did not answer. I tell you, neighbor, we, if it ever dawned on us how blessed we are that God didn't give us everything we asked for. You know, I might not be here tonight if God answered every prayer I ever prayed. I'd probably be a Blue John billionaire, have every toy I've wanted, have big houses, big mansions, I mean, have it made. I mean, as far as finances and stuff like that, I might have prayed myself out of the will of God. But Elijah's not, you know what Elijah would have missed out on? He would have missed out on hearing the still small voice of God. If God would answer that prayer, later on in chapter number 19, Jesus whispered sweet peace to him and he heard from a lamb that's fairer than day. Amen, he'd have missed out on those meals, that one that he went 40 days and 40 nights on one meal. He'd have missed out on starting the school of the prophets. He'd have missed out on the chariots of God swinging low to carry him home. He'd have missed out on that glorious entrance into heaven. He'd have missed out on seeing another young man I raised up and I'd take his place. Look what he'd have missed out on if God would have answered that prayer. Thank God for unanswered prayers. We'd have prayed ourselves out of the will of God. That's God's unseen hand in prayer. He knows what we need. He knows where we need to be. That's the unseen hand of God in prayer. And I was meditating on this and I said, Lord, is that why you didn't answer this prayer? Is that why you didn't answer that prayer? Is that why it seemed like the heavens were brass when I were praying for this and that and this person? It seemed like a Holy Ghost just whispered to me and said, yes. Just praying out of my will. And if you ain't praying in the will of God, God's merciful to us not to answer us. He's pitiful toward us. He's loving toward us. He's kind enough to us to wink at our ignorance, if I can put it that way, and say that poor little servant, they're wore out, they're tired, they're weary. They've been on the battlefield. They're fearful of of, uh, uh, Jezebel. Uh, They've uh, just had a a great victory. They're drained. They're tired. They're weary and well done. And they don't know what they're asking for. So God in his wonderful mercy says no. I'm not answering that prayer. And I must say glory to God for the unseen hand of God, even in unanswered prayers. But then we hasten along, there's an unseen hand in prayer. There's an unseen hand in the provisions of God in Elijah's life. Now, I like this. It seems like every time Elijah really needed something, especially on a personal basis from God, God gave him something to eat. (laughs) And I do like to eat. I can tell by looking at some of you that I'm not alone in that category in here tonight, that we enjoy a good meal. We like uh, ribeye steaks, chicken, uh, macaroni, and uh, uh, baked potatoes. I'm going I'm to preach myself hungry if I don't shut up, but we love it. And it seems like that God has got a special way of giving us the meal that we need to have right on time, all the time, every time that God knows what we need. We need some food from heaven. I really don't care why you came tonight. I'm just glad you're here. Don't matter to me if you're chasing a boy, chasing a girl. We're glad you're here. 
Now, your motive ain't right. Get it right while you're here. But you're here. The only reason I went to church tonight, I got saved. Gary Brown Jr. told me, he said, John, I told him I was going to the party. He said, we're cooking and the ladies are cooking and we're having a meal about nine o'clock. I said, the party don't get started till 11. I'll come first part of the service. I'll suffer through it. I've eaten homecoming, cooking over yonder before at that church and the women could cook. So I went because of my belly. And literally I know that I was being drawn of the Holy Ghost of God to get under the sound of the gospel. Oh man, God gave me more than a physical meal that night. He let me eat the bread of heaven, get satisfied from the glory world, experience good old fashioned salvation, the Holy Ghost way, the old time way, the born again way, the blood wash way. That's the only reason I went. And this meant something to me. And God has fed Elijah on several occasions. Chapter number 17, verses one through seven. He's got the ravens bringing him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. I do not have any Bible for what I'm fixing to say, but I'm firmly convinced it's gotta be the case. I couldn't tell you that those ravens went to food liner angles to get the bread and the flesh, but I just believe that those servants that were servants to Elijah, they went by the palace of Ahab every morning and every evening, and when the king as a cook wasn't looking, those ravens just kind of snuck in there, got what they wanted to, took it to the man of God, gave him food fit for a king. God gave him a meal and it was bread and flesh. It came on time every time. Amen, up to where Elijah was. God fed him. And there was no human companionship at all in Elijah's life at this time. So God gave him a meal in times of loneliness. You ever get lonely? Don't lie to me. I mean, God sent those ravens. He didn't send a crow. That had got too much attention. He didn't send an eagle. That surely would have got too much attention. Where's that eagle carrying that food? He's feeding somebody. But those ravens, they weighed more than a crow did and they could carry more food than a crow could and they didn't make as much racket as a crow does. So God got a bird that could fly in stealth, sneak in, sneak out, not go undetected. And God used the right kind of means to feed him. But this was a time of loneliness. Those ravens never showed up and said, hey, how you doing? Those ravens never showed up and said, you want fellowship back to the word of God? For maybe a year and a half, two years, I don't really know how long it was, but it's a long period of time that Elijah stayed by this brook with no human fellowship at all. Neighbor, I'm gonna tell you, you can be a room this size filled with people and still feel as alone as if you was in a desert off somewhere by yourself I tell you what, that fellowship and that companionship that comes from the comrades in Christ, it brings love. It brings a, it brings a, a heart. Amen. We just don't need your presence. We need your heart to be in the matter. Amen. And in a time of loneliness, God gave him a meal. But then chapter number 17, 10 through 13, you find out a widow lady's going. She's got a little boy. She's got a little meal. Got a little all in a cruise. So God gives them a meal in a time of littleness. Really, those are the greatest times of our lives when there's not much to us. Life is simple. This woman is fixing to eat her last meal and die, her and her boy. But God's going to let that barrel, is going to let it have meal in it fresh every morning. And the oil ain't going to run out. And there's going to be uh, something to eat until God sends rain on the earth. And then the times when we feel insignificant, when there's nothing much going on, uh, when we're in a, in a littleness point of our life, 
God gives a meal. But then, we'll hasten along, chapter number 17, uh, God, and even in chapter number 19, the boy has died. It's, uh, Elijah's wanting to die. God gives a meal in times of lifelessness. I mean, it seems like, I'm going to tell you, this ain't my first rodeo, and I don't want to say that to sound bragging, but neighbor, God's allowed me the privilege to preach for almost 21 years. I've been in churches when they was alive, when there was excitement, when there was rejoicing, when there was liberty to preach, and God come down every time, sinners saved by the grace of God, and then I've seen it when it seems like somebody pulled the plug, and all the life out of the preacher, and all the life out of the choir, and all the life out of the congregation seems to have faded away and gone. I attribute that to seasonal times in the life of a church. God lets us go through seasons. But even in a season of lifelessness, God will prepare a meal. The angel of the Lord showed up and touched Elijah, said, Arise and eat. And God fed him a meal when he didn't feel like living. And God will have a meal for you when it seems like all the life is gone. You know what he did with that first meal God gave him in chapter number 19? He rose up, he ate it, and he went back to sleep. He just needed some rest. But then we hasten along, and not only in a time of lifelessness, God raises him up and gives him a meal that he runs 40 days and 40 nights on. 40 days and 40 nights. That was in a time of loneliness. You couldn't have gotten no lower than what Elijah was. I hate times of discouragement, times of depression, times when you, when, you, when you feel lower than a snake's belly. You've prayed, you've read your Bible, but for, and you fought against Jezebel's prophets, you've done everything you know to do right, and you still feel low. I don't, I don't understand all that, but I tell you what I do understand is that I hate it with all my God-given heart when I am in that state. You just get low. So you know what God did? God gave him a meal that lasted 40 days. Boy, I'd like to have you talk about a dietary plan from heaven. <laughs> hey, you wouldn't have to have no cleaning out sin and cleansings then, diets then. And I hate diets with all my heart. Wish you could eat what you want to and never get fat. Somebody say amen. I ought to, we ought to have revival on that kind of preaching right there. And brother Gravely, God put him on a special diet. I don't know. We, I wouldn't want to read too much into this. God don't seem like God ever told him to go where he went. But 40 days and 40 nights, 40 nights he seen the sun come down. 40 days he seen the sun come up. He's a walking through a dry, weary land, walking one day after the next, and he ends up at Horeb, the mountain of God. I don't know why in the world Elijah went that way. I really don't know if behind the scenes God led him to go that way. The Bible doesn't indicate that. But whatever the case may be, seems like Elijah's just trying to get as far away from that mess as he possibly can. And he ends up at the mountain of God, 
He ends up on that mountain where Moses was walking around the hillside one day and seen the burning bush. He ends up at that place one day where God gave Moses the law of God. He ends up at the mountain one day where Moses said, Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God shows up. And now Elijah is there. And the same God that showed up for Moses is going to show up for Elijah. I know, God, what a blessing that is. Moses and Elijah had an experience with God years apart on the same mountain. God fed him enough. And I'm not going to labor this next little thought. I'll just leave you with this. But God led him enough and fed him enough rather to get him up there in that cave. Not to see the earthquake, not to see the wind, not to see the fire, but to hear a still, small voice from God. And God led him on. That's the unseen hand of God. But then we hasten along tonight, number three, the unseen hand of God in prayer and and, uh, the unseen hand of God in his provisions. Does he not take care of us? I hope I'm making sense tonight. Then thirdly, there's the unseen hand of God in the times of power when Elijah needed it. Back to our text briefly. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. That's the first time that you see that phrase concerning Elijah in the Bible that the hand of the Lord was on him. Why wait till just now? Because now's when Elijah needs it the most. God puts his hand on him and gives him strength and gives him power to do two things mainly. First of all, to get in a hurry. (laughs) The rain's coming. We're to wait on God. We're to be patient on God. But the day will come when it's not time for us to wait on him anymore. He's waiting on us. Lazarus died four days. Jesus shows up. He meets one sister out at the uh, edge of town and he doesn't move till the other sister comes. They've been waiting on God. Now God's waiting on her. They've been waiting on God for rain. Now God's waiting on them to move when he sends it. Why in the world did Elijah need to get in a hurry? Well, if you know your Bible, you know that the region between the top of Carmel to Jezreel was notorious in its flooding. Even some battles were lost there because of some floods. And I think in the book of Judges, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm wrong, I will stand to be corrected that there were some chariots that got stuck in the mud in that country because it flooded and a battle was won and a battle was lost. What God was doing with Elijah, he's putting the power on him to get him in a hurry so he don't get flooded out of the blessings of God. Sometimes... It's just time to move on and get on down the road. Get to where God wants you to get. It ain't time to hang around and stay there. If that had been most of us, we'd have said, I ain't a leaving Carmel. This is where God done a work for me. I ain't a moving. Oh, God had to work 16, 15 to 16 miles on down the road for him to do. God gave him power to get in a hurry. But not only power to get in a hurry, but power to humble himself. It had to take the hand of God and the power of God for Elijah to do what he did. The Bible said that he girded his loins and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. (laughs) If that would have been me, I don't think I could have done it. That was one of the lowest jobs on the totem pole was to have to be a runner before a chariot 
They didn't do it just to show off. They didn't do it to show their strength. They didn't do it to show their stamina. They'd done it for protection. They'd run before the king and the chariots to let others know the king's coming through, get out of the way. They did it to look for ditches. They did it to look for rivers. They did it to look for lions and tigers and bears, anything that might be a distraction. That runner ran before that chair to make sure it made it to where it was going. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I could have ran before Ahab. I don't know what would have been worse, running before him or Obama. Somebody say amen right there. And I'm so glad he's gone. Can I get a witness? But anyhow, back to the text, lest I get sidetracked. And, but I think I'd have hollered out, hey, Ahab. You do realize I just prayed a three and a half drought, year drought in. I have prayed fire out. I just killed your wife's prophets and her favorite preachers. What a service that would have been like to have been in. <laughs> he didn't take a text. He took the whole Bible, double-edged sword, and started killing people. <laughs> we wouldn't have made it long in that service. I'd have sit back with my iPhone and videoed every bit of it. Amen. We'd had YouTube videos to last us for a lifetime. <laughs> Hey, y'all like my preacher. You don't like what he said. They're going to cut your head off. <laughs> Say man, right there. <laughs> I said, Ahab, I, I think you ought to run before me and I'll ride the chariot. I believe that's what I said. Oh, but not Elijah. God touched him and it humbled him so. Oh, he might not have necessarily liked it. He might not necessarily have enjoyed it, but he did it with humility. And there'll be times God's going to have us run before people that we don't agree with. I'm not saying join up with them. I'm not saying yoke up with them. I'm not saying hold their hands in the ministry. But there'll be times God will have us run before people that have done us wrong, that have done us dirty. God may have you run before a child that's ripped the heart out of your chest and spit in your face. God may have you run before a mate that hadn't done right. God may have you run. Am I making, am I helping you any? And it will take the powerful, mighty hand of God on our lives to humble us to the point where we can do it. That's the unseen hand of God. Just right there on Elijah. Humble yourself. Boy, there have been many a time. I said, I don't like this fella. He's done something I don't like. And when I see him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Well, if you're anything like me, you can't afford to give what you got away when it comes to your brain. I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to show them who the boss is. And when you get there, the touch of God and the grace of God will humble you. And the next thing you know, instead of you rebuking somebody and putting them in their place, you're begging them to forgive you and you're apologizing to them. That's the power of God and humility. God knew Elijah needed some humility in this hour of his life. And then lastly, and I'm done tonight. There is an unseen hand of God when it comes to helping the young people and the coming up generation that's coming behind us. Amen. God said, Elijah, I want you to go by Elisha. He's going to take your place. And Elisha went by and he picked him out, told his mantle on him and said, follow me. And Elisha followed the man of God became a great mighty prophet in the land of Israel. And Elijah, God allowed him to have a part of that. You don't know. You don't know 
who's sitting on these pews tonight. Oh, when I preach to these young people in the morning, when I get up in the pulpit, the Lord's will and Jesus don't come, I'm getting up wondering what in the world is going to become of these young men and these young ladies. Oh, who's going to be the next pastor? Who's going to be the next evangelist? Who's going to be a missionary in this crowd? Who's just going to grow up and live for God? Maybe not never get into ministry, but love their wife and love their children and raise them for the glory of God. That's the unseen hand of God. I be preaching to one, thanking God's working in their little old hearts. And, oh, and you think, and then all of a sudden, somebody on the other side of the room come down to the altar. Oh, get on the altar. It's always the unexpected. You would have thought that it would have been that lad that was a servant to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Going up, you'd have thought, you'd have thought that it would have been that little boy, but Elijah left him sitting and went on the wilderness, went on that journey by himself. The lad didn't go with him, and God had his pick. I thought about why in the world Elijah would have done that, but it may have been, Elijah may have been partial. God said, no, I want you to pick Elisha. That's my pick. And what I'm simply trying to say is God's got something. He's not dead. He's alive. He has got something for this. There is an unseen hand that's going to reach down and touch this crowd that's going to reach down and fill these boys and these girls that's going to lead them just like they led. Who would have ever thought? I'm glad y'all didn't know me when I was lost. I am. I rejoice in it. But who would have ever thought God would ever put his hand on me and let me? And I'm not saying I'm a great preacher. I'm not saying uh, that. But God's opened up doors I'd have never dreamed possible. Well, who'd ever thought when they picked you up on that bus, Brother Graham, that one day he'd let God pick you out and pull you out? And who'd ever thought when you went to your first pastor that it would have turned into where you're at now? And who'd ever thought looking at us when we were little boys and little girls that said, there ain't no hope for them, there ain't no help for them, but God, with his unseen hand, reached down and done it for me and he'd done it for you and he'll do it for these little boys. He'll do it for these little girls. He'll do it for your children. That's why you ought to grab your youngins up and pray the unseen hand of God will do a work in their lives. Fathers, we bound the wonderful presence of God tonight. I pray as the pastor comes and gives the invitation whatever he wants to do. Lord, I pray for wisdom, liberty, and leadership. There are those that maybe already just need to come to the altar tonight. I pray you'd deal with them. I pray you'd lead them. I pray you'd guide them. I pray you'd fill them. I pray you'd help them. I pray you'd create such a thirst and a hunger in the lives of these people in this building tonight that they'll never be the same ever again. I pray you'd breathe a fresh touch on us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.